Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, and welcome back. This is Walk Through the Bible, week 24. We are deep into our history of the northern and southern kingdoms, and uh, this week we are reading from the Daily Bible, pages 734 to 762, or what are the dates of June 11th through the 17th in the Daily Bible. Now, last week we talked about sort of an overview of the history of this period, what we were looking at geographically in the context, and and this week we're deep into stories and jumping back and forth from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. And I know it gets a little tedious and it gets a little confusing, but just stick with me. I'm going to help you wade through it and uh, sort of stick at that 30,000 foot view and not worry so much about all the details and getting straight which king was this and that. Um, as I explained last week, in the northern kingdom of Israel, their history lasted about 200 years. And in that 200 years, they had nine different dynasties and around 20 different kings. So um, our first dynasty started out with Jeroboam. And then uh, last week we read about Basha and then the house of Omri, who was Ahab. Ahab was his son. We talked about Ahab and Jezebel last week. So this year, uh, this week, we're reading about um, Yehu. Now, God was so disgusted with Ahab. You know, I told you he was the uh, most evil king uh, of the north, and he brought this uh, national cult of the Baal of Phoenicia that Jezebel had brought with her. And so God tells Elijah um, to go um, anoint Yehu as the um, successor of Ahab and that Yehu is to take over. Well, Yehu then goes and he wipes out not just Ahab, but all of his family and his court, he kills everybody. He goes so far and beyond, it is so bloody. And he even killed the king of Judah. Now, this I want to explain to you. Why? Because the, um, the king of Judah had married a daughter of Jezebel and Ahab, so they were related. So that means that this king was a threat to whoever was going to be king of the north. He could get a following. So he's killed. All his, his uh, relatives are killed. And I mean, it was just very, very bloody. Um, Yehu did one good thing. He destroyed the temple to the Baal of Tyre that had been built in the center of Samaria, the capital of the Northern Kingdom. So he got completely rid of the worship of the Baal that Jezebel had brought with her. He got rid of the prophets, he got rid of everything. But he didn't get rid of the two worship sites that Jeroboam had erected where he put the golden calves. 
and where they were a mixture of worship of the God of Israel with the God of these calves or the God of Baal, local Baal. So like I told you before, there were many different Baals. And um, there were these national or local Baals, I should call them, that were being uh, worshipped there because there were lots of Canaanite pagans living in Israel. And then there were a lot of Israelites that were highly influenced by this. And they were worshipping there at Dan and Bethel. But Yehu did get rid of the worship of Jezebel's Baal uh, that she brought with her. Um, now, he immediately went and paid tribute to uh, Shalmaneser, who was the Assyrian king. And, um, and it, I bring this up because there is an archaeological find. Uh, it's called the uh, Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser III. And on that obelisk, he shows all these various kings that had to bow down and pay tribute to him. And it actually depicts Yehu, the king of Israel, bowing down to Shalmaneser, kissing his feet and paying tribute. So uh, very clear archaeological evidence of uh, Yehu. Now, um, you've got to understand that Yehu also greatly weakens the northern kingdom of Israel. Why? Because by destroying the worship of Baal, he has cut off ties. He's insulted Phoenicia. So he no longer has alliance, this strong alliance with Phoenicia. He has killed the king of Judah, so he doesn't have a strong alliance with Judah either. So this really weakens him and makes him much more uh, vulnerable. Now, down in uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, since uh, Yehu had killed the king, his mother, Athaliah, and I'm sorry, I said that wrong before, uh, it was his mother that was a daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, and um, she had married um, someone in the line of David, and so their son was uh, Ahaziah, and King Ahaziah had, was the one that was killed by Yehu because he was, he was related to Ahab, but he was also related to the line of David. So uh, his mother, the daughter of Jezebel, what does she do? Guess. Take a big guess. She usurps the throne and takes it over herself, the throne of Judah. So this is the only time where someone from the house of David wasn't sitting on the throne. I think it only lasted for about six years. But what does she do? She brings in the worship of Baal, Jezebel's Je Baal, and makes it the national cult of Judah. And as a result, at the end of her six years, the priest of the God of Israel, because remember, she's over Jerusalem where the temple is and all the Levites were there. Um, they rebelled, and so they got rid of her, and they found one relative, one member of the house of David that had not been killed, and he was a child. And so he was put on the throne as a child king, Joash, and the kingdom was actually run by uh, the, one of the priests. 
but they wanted someone from the kingdom of David to be on the throne, and they wanted to get rid of the Baal worship, and that's exactly what they did. Of course, by the end of her reign, it was only six years, but the, it says the temple was in disrepair, so she may have even damaged the temple or destroyed parts of it, and it had to be um, fixed up. Now, back to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now we get to King Jeroboam II, and he's a very important king because under his reign, the kingdom of Israel becomes the strongest ever. Under his reign, they are so wealthy, they are so powerful, they are so big. And what does that mean? It means that if he's getting stronger, if Israel's getting stronger, it's because Assyria and Aram are weaker. And uh, but he's getting stronger, and archaeology confirms that his reign was very prosperous and uh, really the most prosperous of Israel's history. He conquered the Arameans in Aram, and uh, Assyria is weakened at this point, not because of him, just their own internal problems, and that allowed him then to become strong. If during this time of Jeroboam, if you were to add up his kingdom with the southern kingdom, they actually are as big as what Solomon had. So um, it really is very strong. And on the outside, it looks very strong, very prosperous. It looks very good, right? But on the inside, that's where the problem was. It was still very sick. And this is why we have our national prophets are uh, really saying judgment is coming. And we're going to um, get into a couple prophets this week. And then next week, we're going to talk about Hosea and Amos. They both prophesied under Jeroboam II, and they did not have good things to say because it was a corrupt kingdom on the inside. You know, it's a good word of warning for all of us. Prosperity is not the proof of spiritual righteousness. And we have to get that in our heads because sometimes we tend to think, oh, you're being prosperous, that means you're being blessed. And it can mean that, but it doesn't always mean that. So now this week, we read the what I consider a comical story about a rebellious prophet, and his name is Jonah. We all know the story because we learned it as children. But let's listen to it in the context now of what we know is happening all around us. So he was also a prophet to Jeroboam II, but he had a call from God to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a city in the Assyrian province on the Tigris River. I don't believe it was the capital of Assyria at the time of Jonah, but it became the capital of Assyria. It was a very big city on the Tigris River. It said it took four days to walk through the city of Nineveh. So Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance to them, to warn them um, of what is coming and um, and to call them to repentance. And of course, Jonah does not want to do this because he hates the Assyrians. They are the enemy. So he runs, instead of going northeast towards Assyria, where does he go? West. 
and he boards a ship to go even farther west to Tarshish. And of course, there's a storm and the sailors are like, what's going on? He said, look, it's all because of me. Just throw me overboard. Just kill me. And uh, they throw him overboard and God has him swallowed up by a big fish. And so he's inside the fish. So he says, okay, God, I'll go. He doesn't really repent, repent, but he does turn. He says, okay, I'll go. So the fish vomits him up on dry ground, and he goes to the city of Nineveh. Now, like I said, Nineveh is very, very big, but it says that he just kind of entered it. And on that first day, he starts preaching a very, very weak and very brief message uh, to call them to repentance. He does not want this to succeed. You understand? His heart wasn't in it. But lo and behold, they repent, they become sorry for their sins, and God forgives them. And so Jonah is very angry with God. And what does he say? I knew it. I knew you would forgive them because you are a gracious and forgiving God. And I knew this would happen. This is why I didn't want to come. So we know the story. He goes and he sits out to watch and see what happens. And this vine grows up to protect him from the sun. And then a worm chews it away. And he gets so angry. And God's like, why are you so angry? And so I think, you know, the point for all of us in this story is, are we okay with the fact that God loves who may be our enemy? You know, it's really easy in life for us to define our enemies and those people that disagree with us, those people that are doing things that I disagree with that may even be hurting my cause or my people or my country or my whatever, they're my enemy. And then to think that God loves them as much as he may love us, are we okay with that? Because that's the message of the book of Jonah. God loved the Assyrian people, and he wanted to reach them. Now, a little point of history here I, I want to tell you. The Nineveh, what's known as the Nineveh Plains today, is in what is today northern Iraq. Um, the Nineveh area, it later became the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and um, it was a formidable enemy to the people of Israel, and God used Assyria to bring judgment on his people, Israel. And um, But Jonah, who brought this message of repentance to Nineveh, it's very interesting that then, early after the uh, disciples, uh, Christianity went to the whole area of Assyria. And so we have had Christians in Assyria since the very, very beginning of Christianity. And they were there in that Nineveh area. And in Nineveh, there was a, a tomb to the prophet Jonah, which supposedly they say he died there. And uh, they also had a tomb to the prophet Nahum. And uh, in modern times now, this is in the Iraqi city of Mosul. And I'm sure you heard of Mosul. You heard it on the news. It was the center of a lot of fighting in, in the Iraq war. And, but Mosul um, is at, 
at the edge. It contains part of the ancient city of Nineveh. So in Mosul is the tomb of Jonah and is a section of the ancient walls of Nineveh from, what, 2,700 years ago. And when ISIS moved into Mosul, what did they do? They blew up the tomb of Jonah and the walls of Nineveh. And, uh, of course, they were um, killing Christians right and left. And so the, the Christians fled out into what's known as the Nineveh Plains. I want you to know this because God's heart is for those people, too. And there's Christian, Chaldean Christians, which are of the original Assyrians. They are Assyrian Christians today, alive today in the earth. And a lot of them were there in that ancient area of, of Nineveh, which is today Mosul, and Baghdad and that whole area. Those Christians fled to the Nineveh plains. And, um, you know, our prayer is that the Christians of that area would be able to form some kind of sovereignty where they can protect themselves, they can fight for themselves, and uh, not continue under this... Uh, a type of, of persecution, uh, highly persecuted in that area. And um, my heart just broke when I heard of how ISIS was destroying these key archaeological um, artifacts there in the tomb of Jonah and the walls of Nineveh. Now, the other prophet that we read about this week, um, or read from, I should say, was the book of Joel. Uh, the book of Joel, we don't really know when it was written. And um, scholarship in the last you know, couple hundred years had Joel being as written one of the first books to be written. And so the Daily Bible put Joel here as one of the first of the what we call the writing prophets. And, but there really is a case to be made for Joel being actually the last one to be written. So I just want you to know, we don't know when it was written. It's a collection of poems, and it talks about judgment, but it doesn't say why judgment is coming, which is interesting, because next week we're going to read Amos and Hosea. They list all the sins, uh, everything going on in northern Israel and in Judah. But uh, Joel doesn't mention the sin specifically, but it talks about this army of locusts. And you know, locust swarms are very, very common in the area. We had a major one just uh, in 2020, um, but they're very common. So there may have really been a locust swarm that Joel is talking about, but then Joel kind of transitions and begins warning about future judgment that's coming in the form of the day of the Lord, and he describes it almost as locust. So when you're reading it, it's a little confusing. Are we talking about locusts or people? And I also want to mention there's a famous verse in uh, Joel about blow the trumpet in Zion, you know, uh, sound the alarm in my holy mountain. And there used to be a song that uh, we all sang. It was very popular. It says, they run on the city, they walk on the walls. Great is the army that carries out his word. And we'd really get into it. And then one day somebody realized that this is talking about the uh, Assyrian army that God is using to bring judgment on Israel. They're the ones climbing up the wall and bringing uh, judgment. And so uh, most people stop singing that song. Um, but it comes from Joel. 
And um, so Joel talks about this judgment that's coming in the day of the Lord, and then he calls for the, them to repent and to rend their hearts and says that, slow, that God is slow uh, to anger. And God responds, and um, he defeats the invaders, and he restores the land, and, and he pours out his spirit, and there's this divine presence, and it's almost like there's a whole new Garden of Eden. It, it's a whole new creation. And so this is the message of the book of Joel. I want to concentrate on one concept in it before we bring today to a close that we find uh, in Joel that's very important. Um, Joel here is saying that it's God's army that's going to bring the judgment, that's bringing the day of the Lord. His army and this is a concept we got to get our minds around and we've got to grasp um, about God's relationship with his people and his relationship with these other countries. Israel is his people. He married them in the wilderness. They are his. He's made promises to them. And one of the promises was that if they turned from him and worshiped other gods, that they would be kicked out of the land. They would be taken into exile. They would be judged. That's a promise that God made to his people. So he actually uses the Assyrian army to come in and bring judgment on his people and on the kingdom of Israel, I should say. We haven't gotten to that point yet in our story, but here in Joel, he's pointing to that. And that's why he refers to them as his army, the army of the Lord. And that's why we had the confusion in that song until one day somebody learned their history and realized this army was the foreign invaders that were going to come in and bring God's judgment. Then in Joel 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. It's a very, very famous verse. And this is talking about when God restores his people to the land. So I want to read it for you. John 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people, Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Now, let's wrap our minds around this, okay? God uses the foreign army to bring judgment on his people and then when he brings his people back home and restores them and blesses them, he then draws those armies again to judge them for what they did because they mistreated his people. And uh, they scattered them amongst the nations and they divided up his land so this is a very, very key concept to everything that we see happening now in our story and that we will be reading about. God promised judgment to his people, but he also promised restoration. And here in Joel, he's got it all right there. God's going to judge and he's going to use these foreign invaders to do it. But then he's going to restore you back to your land 
And he's going to then draw these nations and he's going to judge them for what they did to his people. And he calls them my people, Israel. So even in judgment, even in exile, even in sin and idolatry, they're still his people. He's going to deal with them as he promised Moses that he would in the wilderness. And this is the story that we are reading in this section of our history. So this is the principle of righteousness. His people were required to live a righteous life in the land. And if they didn't, then there would be judgment. There's the principle of judgment. But he promised return and he promised retribution that he would judge their enemy for what they had done. So enjoy your reading of Joel this week. It's a tremendous book and the story of Jonah. And I'll see you back here next week when we will talk about Amos and Hosea. All right, so until then, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.